Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. We are back. And so is Amanda, who has been away on Juru duty all summer. But now she's back to steering the wheel, and Willie Kirk is the guest on the podcast for episode 37. Which I have to mention, by the way, it's crazy that we've soon reached 40 episodes of the podcast. So I want to take the opportunity to say a huge thank you to all of you that have been with us on this journey. Please keep on listening, feel free to leave a review, and subscribe if you like. You can also find us on Twitter at TherePitch and Instagram at Their.Pitch. Anyway, back to business. Willie Kirk. He has been our Euro expert during the summer. And of course, we had to get him on to give him an episode of his own. He is the former assistant head coach in Manchester United, where he worked with Casey Stoney. He has been the head coach in Everton and he was recently announced as the Women's Football Director of Leicester Football Club. You are listening to Their Pitch, and this is the Willie Kirk episode. I want to say it feels great to be back on the podcast. I haven't been with you guys all summer, but finally back and finally get to talk to Willie Kirk. Willie, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm very well. I'm very well. Got over the Euros finally. And uh, yeah, really getting getting into the detail now of my new job. So Exciting. And we actually met at the Euros, so we're, we're familiar with each other. Um, but this is definitely yeah. a different setting. Um, and we're going to be talking about yourself today because you've been on the podcast before and you were our expert during the euros and now we're going to get to to get to know willie kirk where everyone else is going to get to know you how do you feel about that i'm a little bit nervous about that <laughs> we're, we're nice people here right amanda we we like to keep keep uh, keep people comfortable willie we're going to start with a quote from somebody who knows you very okay. well um and you're going to have to guess who it is and it starts like this he is a super leader with a real eye for what's required tactically to compete in games. He's not afraid to experiment with systems slash change the system to try and beat an opponent. High level understanding of player management skills and all round a super coach with a deep passion for the game. And this person also gave us an example of what you could possibly do as a coach and said, come to my office is what you would say. And then you hand the player a list of defensive midfielders in the men's game and says to player, I'm turning you into a six. I know it is. Yeah. Is he Christians? <laughs> that's cr- so that's what you did. You told her to come into the office and you just handed her a list and said, you're turning her into a six. Yeah. I wanted to, because she's such a, such an intelligent footballer. I just felt she could help me with dictating the control of a game. When he slowed down, when he speed it up, she she always wanted the ball all the time. So I thought, what better position to feed that hunger and to put her in the six? Was she happy about it, or uh, I think she when I think the original idea of a six took her away from the opponent's goal too much, and I don't think she was. I think she initially went, oh, I don't know if I want to be a defensive midfielder, but then when I gave her some examples. She went, yeah, yeah, okay, I can see myself as that player. Uh, and it, it never had to be defensive. It was more about the offensive and starting things, but also being a type of player that could that could quickly get up the pitch and join in the final third. So. I, I'm kind of interesting in that because I, I always think about what player, how they react when, when a coach tells them, their ideas of moving them around or, or giving them a different role or position. Uh, how, how do player, players react in general about that? Yeah, I think, I think there's, 
I think there's only certain players you can do it with. You you need to make sure that player is open-minded. That player is pretty selfless. So they know that you're probably doing it for two reasons. One is to help the team, first and foremost. But two, if they know you as a person and a coach, they know you're doing it to help them as well. So I think I think you've got to get that trust in players. And I think me and Izzy had a real strong trust with each other. So when she, when she when we went through that conversation, she knew there was a thought behind it. And I wasn't doing it just for some random idea when I woke in the morning. Uh, my, I, I failed Izzy on that a little bit because I never spent enough time with her in terms of the afterwards. And, and I've done this quite a bit. And this is a failing in my career that I always focus more on the younger players because I think they need my help more. And sometimes I neglect the older players because I think, well, they know it all anyway. They've got the experience. But when I tried to change Izzy into a six, I probably didn't spend enough time pulling out clips from training sessions to help her. Uh, so, yeah, I've, I, I still think she could be a top six. I probably failed her a little bit in terms of that. But we, to be fair, we only did it towards the end of the 2021 season. So the last few games of that season, we put her in there and then with a view to her becoming that player in 21-22 and obviously I only got three or four months at that. So uh, I would love to hide behind that, that I never spent enough time with her, but yeah, I could have spent more time with her. All right. Willie, this is, I'm going to give you the hardest question of, of them all now. I always find it hard to answer this question, but who is Willie Kirk? He is a dad and someone whose priorities and outlook in life has probably changed a lot since becoming a dad. So that's very important. Uh, he is someone who is, uh, takes gambles in life. He's someone who has taken a number of gambles in life. Not just calculated risks, I would say, rather than gambles. So when I left my full-time job as an accountant to follow my passion in football, I fell out with family, I lost a relationship, uh, I was unemployed. But I think, you know, 12, 13 years later, I can look back and go, that was worth it. When I left Bristol, because as we know in the women's game, you know, you don't leave a job with a couple of million pounds in the bank <laughs> and take your time. I resigned from Bristol without having another job to go to. Again, I ended up at one of the biggest clubs in the world, at Manchester United. And and that was in the pipeline, but it was nowhere near a done deal. But I just felt the right time to leave Bristol. And so that was a little bit of a calculated risk. Uh, I then left the biggest club in the world after five months to take over the team at the bottom of the league. Uh, so again, another calculated risk. So yeah, I've, I've so so that that's part of my makeup. I think is I've always I've always lived on the edge a little bit. Uh, who uh, who is really Kirk? He he enjoys company. He loves he loves a social occasion. But I'm also very, very comfortable being on my own. Uh, so, yeah, I enjoy my own company, but I also enjoy the company and get energy from other people. I love developing people and helping people. And I think that's always been a case in my, my whole life. I think if you look at examples from childhood, from my working life as an accountant, uh, where I would help non-finance budget holders learn about money uh, so there was always a training aspect to my work uh, and and what I realised when I left Everton and I was unemployed for a while and I did a little bit of work with England I didn't I realised I didn't necessarily miss the grass I just missed interacting with people and helping people and I realised it wasn't just players that I was interested in developing it was staff it was clubs so I just, I just like feeling as if I've improved things that I've touched and I'll leave it in a better place. Uh, do you feel like you thrive off of the success of other people? Because that's the impression that I'm getting. Like if you help other people succeed. Yeah, you know what? I, 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 
I've never ever kept any medals that I've won myself. Uh, and you know, I really wanted to win the FA Cup final to be able to give my medal to someone else uh, who had done a lot of work behind behind the scenes at the club. I really, really wanted to win it for them. Uh, so I do, I do get a buzz out of seeing people do well. You know, like the Euros, for example, is a perfect example to see people like Chloe Kelly and Lauren Hepp, people who I think have had an influence on their career do well. It's just like, it's yeah, I get a real get a real buzz off that. Actually, one of our listeners has sent in a question that actually what you've been telling us now, and they want to know, sort of like, do you have any regrets about something or a choice you made so far? No, I I, I don't see the point in having regrets. I I see them as learning. I learned a lot from Everton uh, in terms of the difficult period, in terms of the structure of the club and how it hindered me, but possibly helped me at times but uh, you know if, if they're alluding to leaving Manchester United after five months uh, I support, I've supported the team since I was eight year old but no I don't have any regrets It was I've always said the Everton job was the right job at the wrong time but I still had to make that decision based on me Also why, why women's football? Stumbled across it I didn't mean it I so I coached for two and a half, three years at Livingston FC's Boys Academy, who had a really good small club, but they had a really good tradition of bringing through their own players. So I, start, I did that. I'd got help in hand from one of my best mate's brothers who coached there, and he, he introduced me into it. And without having to coach grassroots, I was suddenly in our, in our, in our men's sort of professional academy, which was really fortunate. And then I got asked to go to Hibs, a better name, who again had a real strong tradition in bringing through top young players, a number of Scotland internationals who were sold for millions of pounds. So I started working there with the under-17s and the club changed the the structure of the 17s. So half of them were full-time and half of them were part-time. So one night a week, I only had eight or nine players to coach. And then another night, we had the whole squad. And the full-time ones would be in every day with the lead coach. So that was the right thing for the club and the players, but it wasn't the right thing for me because I wasn't really being fulfilled. And then during that summer break in Scotland, it was still it was a summer they were transitioning to a summer game for the women. So I had a summer where the boys' academy stopped for the holidays and the women's team had just been brought into the club. And I said to the coach, Jimmy, I've got nothing to do during the summer. If you want a hand, if you want to help, you know, I'll come in and help. So I went in to help and I went to my first training session. <laughs> and it was terrible. I was like, this is shocking. The standard is terrible. It's so slow. The players do not even look as if they want to be here. It was terrible. So I went like once a week for two or three weeks. And I'd committed to helping the coach, but I was not enjoying it. And then I went to a match day. He asked me if I'd go along to a match day. I went to the match day and it was like, this is this is 11 completely different players. Like, where have these players come from? And it was like, on a match day, they would just, they would just come to life. So that was intriguing because I felt there was a real disconnect between what they thought training, the purpose of training was And then how much they enjoyed the match day. So I stuck with it. I continued to help Jimmy. The boys started back, but I still gave one night a week to to the to the coach at the women's team. And then he was only ever doing it for the mini season before they went to summer. And he asked me, one of the players had approached him to say, would Willie be interested in taking on the head coach role? I was like, no chance. No, no chance. Uh, and then we we got to the cup final in November and Glasgow City beat us and I absolutely hated it so that pretty much immediately after the cup final I went back to the head coach and said I'll take the job because suddenly I realised how much the result mattered to me after doing youth development for three or four years where it was all about 
getting the players to the next year, to the next year, to the next year. Suddenly this result really, really hurt me. So, yeah, that was it. I, uh, I, I continued the boys for another six months while I was doing the women's team as head coach. And that was in 2010. And I've been in women's football since. I had a little spell in men's, but at the same time still been in women's. And yeah, I've been there ever since. So it was a bit by, mis- by mistake. but and, and I remember when I went into the women's game properly and a lot of my friends went, what are you thinking about? Like you're in the boys' academy at quite an old age group. What are you thinking about? And now I have a little chuckle and I, I sometimes remind them of that comment. Is it a little bit, told you so, trust me, trust the process. Yeah, probably another calculate dress. So Willie, you mentioned earlier that you worked for Manchester United. Tell us, how did that come about and how was its work uh, as an assistant coach for Casey Stoney? I remember I was at, I think it was Manchester City Atletico Madrid in the Champions League. So we travelled up from Bristol, me and my assistant Chris had travelled up from Bristol, uh, went for food and then went to the game. And Claire Emsley had got his tickets, I think, because Claire had left Bristol to go to Manchester City and I'd known her for years. So we went to the game and I remember when they were doing the, the lineups for the Champions League, I said to Chris, this is the stage we need to get to. We need to be Champions League coaches. And then on the way home that night, the news broke that Manchester United were going to have a women's team. And we just looked at each other and went, We've, that, is it, that, is, that is it, we've got to go for it. So I spoke to Phil Neville a couple of days later. I said, Phil, are you interested in the job? He went, no, no, I'm happy with England. I said, is there any way you could speak to someone and get me in front of them? So uh, I got told, he came back to me and says, get your application in. I spoke highly of you. So I did the application, got an interview, went to Old Trafford. Night before, staying in hotel football, Phil's hotel, overlooking Old Trafford. And it's like, I shouldn't have done this because I started feeling nervous. <laughs> And then uh, went for the interview. It went okay. I believe they interviewed four people. And then like two weeks went past and I heard nothing. And then on the Saturday night, one of the newspapers broke the story that Casey Stoney was the new manager. I was like, oh, that's a good appointment, but it would be nice to have been told in advance, like considering I got to like that stage. And then... Uh, a couple of days later, she got appointed and the club phoned me and apologised for the poor communication and said that we still want you to come in. We were really impressed. We think Casey's the right appointment, which I actually never argued with. And they said, but we're speaking to Casey and we're suggesting that you come in to support her. It's her first time in a senior management role and you've got experience. You've also been in the championship with, with Bristol. so. I uh, I met up a couple of times with Casey just to speak about how things would work. I thought, you know what? I've been a number one all my life and I think I know what an assistant needs to do. So that could be a really nice dynamic that I, I know what support a manager needs. So I agreed to take the job on. I really enjoyed it. The club was even bigger than I thought it was. Uh, and I would... I would argue with anyone that you will never truly understand how big that club is until you work for them. And then probably three months down, like Casey involved me with everything. If she had a meeting with the commercial department, she asked me to go. If she had a meeting with any players, she asked me to be there. Uh, I delivered the team meeting before games. And so she, she never treated me like an assistant, but I still felt like an assistant. and. I probably had a bit of an ego uh, that I think I've lost now, but I definitely had an ego there that I needed massaged. And I remember watching the women's football show on a Sunday night and it was like, I never really thought about this until the Everton offer came along and I was thinking about the Everton offer and then the women's football show went, Casey Stoney's team beat Tottenham, whatever result it was. And then... Five minutes later, they showed the league table and went, Casey Stoney's team have now went to the top of the table. And I was like, ah, it is Casey's team. And 
at, at the time, as I said, I'm not scared to admit it, I had an ego and it was a, like, probably felt needed, needed as if it needed massaged a little bit. And I, I, I did my due diligence, however, and I spoke to them. I thought the way they approached the club was really professional. And I thought, yeah, this is, a, this is the right move for me, selfishly. But I love my time. I love my time working with Casey. I learned a lot from her. There's two or three little things that she did that I still do uh, that I've picked up from her. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was just part of the journey. It was excellent. What are just two to three things that that, she, that you still do? Nah, I just I just keep them to myself. I think. Keep them to you. <laughs> Not going to give away any secrets, are you? She's really clever. She does something when she speaks, and it's really clever. And I've done it ever since. And uh, it's now just one of my habits. You might not, if you listen to her interviews really carefully, you might pick up. We will go back to, to see some clips. <laughs> yeah, I will definitely. <laughs> I'm definitely going to start listening through all I the think episodes. it's a real, I don't, know if, I don't know if she did it as part of any training or, but it's a real clever psychological thing that she does. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. All right, so you le- you left United for forever. And tell us about tell us about your time over there, Merseyside. Fantastic, great people, a uh, lot of really good people in the club, talented squad of players who were bottom of the league, which is why it's, well, I took the job for two reasons, for three reasons. They were bottom of the league, so I felt you could get success really quickly because success was basically second bottom of the league. It was a really talented group of players, uh, quite, a, quite a good age profile that could be improved really quickly, and the facilities were really good. So that was the three reasons, and uh, it was just a, it was just a squad of players that needed direction and needed needed to understand how training transferred to a game. So we we went in and and the intensity of the games in training were were terrible and then players would come off the pitch at the end of training and it never really mattered what the score was and I thought this is, this is why they're bottom of the league so we did a really simple thing and, uh, and we, we, we did it at United we started it at United and I, I took it to Everton and, uh, and I think they still do it or, or they did do it until recently Manchester United still do it the winning team at the end of the day, got a picture taken. S- simple. Absolutely simple, but suddenly, and then it would get put on the player group after training. Suddenly, that picture became really, really important. So now players were coming off and the other team were getting a picture taken and they were now pissed at losing. And that quickly transferred into match day and we, we won more than enough games to stay up that year and we then added to that the year after, and I said, if you, the player that appears in the most pictures during the month will become trainer of the month, and I will buy you something up to the value of, I think it was £25. So it was nothing huge of value, but it just meant that you got presented in front of your teammates with a present that was very individual to you. So one player got a cookbook, one player got a copy of FIFA, whatever year it was, uh, so it became a real thing and uh, it was just little little bits like that little bits of direction and motivation that I think that group of players needed and, and we, we built things really quickly and successfully and I think at the time you know you you know you got you, you were with Everton for, for quite some time and then you got to you got to hear that you weren't allowed to stay or what, how was the conversation when you got sacked Conversation was so we had a we got beat heavily from Manchester City in, in the Continental Cup. I mean, I mean, does anybody care about the Continental Cup? Uh, not in terms of results, they don't, unless you're the top three. So we got beat heavily from Manchester City, 
uh, we had two days off. It was the start of the international break. For some reason, the WSL was finishing on that Wednesday evening. So some of the European players who had had a small break, like the Swedes, for example, had been at, had been at the Olympics. And I gave a lot of the, the European players some extra time off before the international break actually started on the Monday. So I said, go home for a few days, spend time with family. So the staff had a couple of days off. I was playing golf and I got a phone call from the managing director who'd been in position two days. Uh, and we just finished telling each other a couple of days ago how much we were looking forward to working with each other. And he said, hi, Willie, are you in Finch Farm today, which is the training ground? And I was like, ah, no, 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 we're off, actually. He said, would you, would you mind popping in for a meeting? And I thought, right, I'm going to test them here because it's a family club. So I said, I could, but I would need to change my family plans this afternoon. And he went, yeah, if you could do that, that'd be great. So I knew what the conversation I was going into. Uh, so I went in and poor Alan, new managing director, I knew him personally through my brother-in-law. Uh, he was at one end of the table. The chief exec, Denise, was across from me. There was no Sava who was the sporting director, who'd made the decision. He wasn't there. And uh, Alan read from his script. <laughs> and it was like about six paragraphs. He could just have done it in one. But he went through the whole formal, we've invested a lot of money this year. And, you know, despite this and results have not been, I was like, oh my God, just get to the point. And we just, and we think uh, a change, a change is needed. That's fine. And at that point, I felt so many different emotions. I was angry. I was disappointed. I was frustrated. But I was also relieved. And that surprised me. I did not expect to feel relief. And they asked if I had anything to say. And I went, well, can I just go through my list of 14 things that I asked for to be improved from last year to this year? And there was a list of 14 things. And I think three of them had been ticked off and two of them were in the process of being ticked off. And then I pointed out to them some statistics, which I don't think they were aware of. <laughs> uh, and I think they were surprised by it. And that was it. I went and phoned my agent. I phoned my partner, Jade. I phoned uh, the lawyer at the LMA just to check over the legal part. Uh, and then we came up with a statement and they agreed that I could speak to the players the next day in the morning. And that was it. It took about three hours to get all that done. And that was it. Three years at Everton. Done. Also, uh, you mentioned your ego earlier. Where where, where was your ego uh, at at this time? Uh, a bit bruised and battered. I remember driving home and... I, I cried twice, right? I cried when I was two minutes away from home and I thought, I'm about to see my son and he has no idea what was going on. He is like, whatever, a year and three months. And I just I just felt a lot of emotion. I, was, I felt I'd let him down. I felt I'd like failed. And I was about to see my son face to face since being sacked. And I struggled with that. Idea, even though he never, he, he was a good, he, you know, that's one good thing about having a you know, baby. It's like they don't judge you; they just, they just want to see you. So I, I, I cried just for a couple of minutes that last two minutes drive home, and then I, I cried with one of the messages I got from one of the players, uh, and that was one of the players we've mentioned already. When I read a message, I was like, oh my god. Uh, and that was it. But there was a sigh of relief and the ego was bruised and barred. And a week later, I had the final part of the assessment centre to be accepted or declined for the UFA Pro licence. And I had to quickly get over it and pick myself up for that because it was an intense two days at St George's Park and they were taking 48 people down to 24 and you had to be in that 24. So. 
Yeah, the ego. I didn't. I didn't think ego was that bad until I got feedback from that assessment center. And the guy who gave me feedback was like, "Over the two days, you've completely changed. You walked in with your head down, speaking to the ground, a little bit shy and coy." And he said, two days later, you seem to be a different person." And I think I needed that that to 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 bring us bring get that out of my system. So you were you were talking a little bit about you know you, when you got that call, but based on like the reactions from people around you within the club, some players, you know, maybe other staff, I don't know. Do you think it was fair that they didn't give you more time? I thought it was a poor decision. I thought if you looked at statistics and none of them did, uh, especially the decision maker, we were four points better off than the year before. Based on, based on like, like for like results, we were four points better off than the year before. So, yeah, I just thought the decision was really poor. We brought in eight new players. There'd been significant changes at the training ground, which were restricting us doing the work we wanted to do. We had we had this most talented squad we had ever had. We'd signed players ahead of some top clubs in Europe, and they never understood. Like, and this is where the club's ego got in the way. They thought those players signed for Everton. And they never. They signed for me and my vision and my philosophy. And uh, and I think that was really tough to take. And I still, up until I started to left the job, I still would get quite frustrated when I think about it because I felt there was so much potential in that squad. Uh, and I know some of, the, some of the staff, one of the staff in particular who's now left, gets really frustrated about it because he'd worked so hard for me and for the players to get them to a real physical level that we could compete with the top teams and he gets frustrated about it as well still. Do you feel like that potential has been lost, the one that you felt was there? Because as you said, you know, a lot of the players that we've talked to have talked about the impact that you had on them actually signing the paper and when you don't have that trust in somebody else, you know, there you know, there, there, there could be a lot of dif- difficulties but do you feel like maybe that potential that you felt within the group has, has been lost? Mm-hmm. To a point, I think it's been I think it's been it's taken a knock. I don't think it's entirely been lost. I think it's now realistic. So the the money's went, you know, the, the massive sponsorship money that came in and brought a sporting director with it, that's now went. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, because now it's back to being realistic. We had a, we had massive, massive dreams about breaking into the top three and we were building a squad to, to do that if the money had continued to come in and and I'd continue to manage that money and manage that structure and the environment. But I think it's now back to a realistic level. And I think I think Brian will do really well with the group. I think they made a poor appointment straight after me and the club completely lost its way for the rest of that season. But I do think they've made a really good appointment and those that potential is now realistic again. You've now become a director of football for, for Leicester. How did, how did that come about? Yeah, I, uh, like as much as I, as much as the being sacked was tough, I would have taken a job two days later. You know, I was, I just, I just wanted to get back in there straight away. And I actually spoke to an American club two days later, uh, who decided to go down a different, a different route. Uh, but I would have taken that job. However, in hindsight, I'm glad a job never came as quickly as that because I was allowed to take stock. I was allowed to relax. I was allowed to enjoy so much family time, which I'll never get back, uh, which was fantastic and build a real strong relationship with my son. Uh, and then I did some work with England under 18s. And I think I said 19s earlier, it was 18s. and. Yeah, I, I realised that I never missed the pitch. I don't know if it's because I was working with a young group. I don't know if it's because I was working with a group where the results again never really mattered, and we were playing friendlies. We were preparing them for like a year's time. I don't know if that was it. Maybe the edge wasn't there that I wanted needed. Again, I was I was acting as assistant rather than a head coach. My my super skill is not the pitch. I'm competent on the pitch, but it's not my super skill, without a doubt. And if any 
if you ask any players and they tell you he was a great coach, they're lying because they would have enjoyed Chris Roberts' sessions every day more than my sessions. Uh, so I think that all of that at the time and the spell with England allowed me to really focus on what I wanted to do. And I mean, my, my whole management style was having experts around me in terms of physical performance on the coach pitching. So, you know, I would I would easily have went back into that and there was some potential opportunities to be going abroad, which really appealed to me to learn a new culture and immerse myself in a, in a, new, a new country. And then I got an approach from a, a major WSL club to, to talk to them about a recruitment role. And I was like, that's, that's really interesting. Uh, I, was, I was, felt really privileged to be asked by such a big club. We spoke about it. I was really interested in it. I was a little bit worried that it was a bit too narrow a focus. You know, just head of recruitment. The role might, the role might grow in two, three years, but it was a real narrow focus, just recruitment. So I was a little bit nervous about that, but I still thought it was worth looking into. And we spoke about contracts. We spoke about how the job would work. Uh, we spoke about working for them at the Euros, regardless of agreeing the, the long term role. And then in between times. I was on holiday waiting for the contract to come through and I got an approach from Leicester to speak, just to have a conversation about the role. And the role was like, it included commercial, it included, it included lots of things. And I thought, this person that they're looking for doesn't exist. You cannot be an expert in commercial, an expert in football, an expert in first team and recruitment but also youth development. And I thought there's too many things in this role. So I challenged them a little bit on that. And they they knew about the other club. So they, they, they tried to be as quick as possible with their recruitment process. And then I went, had a Zoom call with three of the directors. I then went down to London to meet them face to face. And the role got changed. They seen that they needed two people to do everything they wanted to do. And again, that shows how ambitious the club are and how they want to do everything right. So they're bringing in a director of women's football and they've brought in a director of football, women's and girls. So two very different roles. Uh, and that was it. So once we got that sorted out, you know, for me, the the, the details around salary, etc., were always going to be secondary. It was about getting the right role, uh, first and foremost. It was a permanent role. It wasn't a fixed term. It was a permanent. So again, it showed the ambitious, the ambition of the club and how how much they valued the the job they were creating. So, yeah, and uh, I did all that without doing any site visits because everybody told me how good the training ground was. So I felt I never had to do that. Uh, and yeah, that was it. The job agreed and started. I'm thinking about the fact that uh, Manchester United is also uh, in the hunt of a director of women's football. Uh, at least uh, it was a job now, uh, job ad for it. And and that the fact also is that this role uh, for women's football it's not clear to every club. Uh, I mean, so can can you describe? What 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 is this role about in the new uh, landscape of women's football for you? Yeah, I think the club treats different clubs treated different ways. I thought the Manchester United one was too wide. I told a recruitment agent that that spoke to me about it. I went like, I'm not interested in it. There's far too many non-football things involved in that. Uh, non-football, as far as I was concerned, uh, the Leicester one for me is focusing on sort of five different things and that is first team and a winning first team it is about the academy and how the pathway feeds into the first team it is about recruitment and how we improve the level of players that we bring to the club Uh, it is about staff how we get the best staff and how we develop our staff and how we structure our staff in the right way in terms of different departments Uh, in getting real specific experts in 
different departments across across the club. And it's about having a long-term strategy and vision. And for me, that's the five main parts of my day-to-day work and how I go about trying to make this successful but also sustainable, which is really important to the club. And I think I think it should be. Uh, so that's that's a sort of overarching. That will be our goal is to have success but do it sustainably. Well, first of all, because you were talking a little bit about how you didn't miss the fish and all, so I, I have to ask the tough questions. You know, that's my job. Um, but is this the end of Willie Kirk's mm, coaching career? Uh, possibly. Yeah, possibly. I never say never. Uh, if it's what, I, what I, I am very confident in saying is I will never be the head coach at Leicester that is not my purpose in this role I am there to make the club successful sustainable and take as much noise away from the head coach as possible to allow them to get results on a Sunday and uh, there's yeah, so that's one thing I'm very confident about saying is if I am ever a head coach again, it will not be at Leicester. If I get an offer of a really attractive head coach position somewhere, I would look at it. But yeah, never say never. But going back to the conversation you had with with your friend at a Champions League game, is that what it would have to take for you to maybe consider it to actually coach a? a team in the Champions League? Yeah, it probably would. Yeah, if, if I was to be a head coach again, it would need to be like an, a top, top team. There would be no point, like I'm in a really exciting role here and I've, there's so much potential. Like we are just at the beginning of a journey at Leicester and regardless of what happens this season, this club will be successful. I'm very sure of that. That's on a real positive trajectory. So I would I would not take a head coach's role for the sake of taking a head coach's role. It would be because I've been approached by a top, top team and my Champions League itch could be scratched with that team. So how do you plan to work with, because you were talking about Leicester earlier as well, it's been one of the main conversations of this podcast, but how do you plan to work with Leicester to put the club on the map and make it a successful women's Super League team? Yeah, for me, the most important thing in women's football is the infrastructure. So I had an extremely talented squad at Everton, or I left behind an extremely talented squad at Everton. And when you went to visit Finch Farm, you'd go, wow, this place is pretty impressive. When you can only use maybe 15% of those facilities, how good it looks is irrelevant. So for me, you have no infrastructure if you can only use 15% of the facilities and probably only use 15% of the facilities for 5% of the time. <laughs> so you're really, you're, you're struggling. It's like playing with a half-fit squad. You know, you're only limited, you know, you're extremely limited to what you can do. At Leicester, we have got a facility which will be one of the best in the WSL. I now think the challenge for me, and I think this is the easier part, is adding good players to the infrastructure. Uh, And I hope my history of good recruitment means that I will probably or hopefully get players that maybe I shouldn't get just now. Uh, Players that would come to Leicester because of maybe my history. And they'll go, well, okay, it's a gamble, but it's less of a gamble because he's there. And I believe in what his vision is and what his ambitions are for the club. So I think I think we can add good players to that incredible structure, and that is how we will then grow the team. We will we've got we've got a, a good squad, but we need we need to add to it without a doubt. And uh, the WSL is getting a tough tough place to live in, and we need to make sure our squad is equipped to do that. And Lydia has the tools to get those results on a Sunday. And we need to, again, use that infrastructure and squeeze as much out as possible to make sure that the players that we do have, regardless of recruitment or not, to make sure those players are performing at their maximum every single day by using the fantastic facility. And we are building a really impressive group of staff. 
in terms of technical. We've brought in two two technical members of staff, a new assistant manager and a new first team coach. We are bringing in new phys- uh, medical staff. We've got a fantastically experienced senior practitioner overseeing physical performance, which is sports science and medical. We're bringing in a new performance coach, physical performance coach. So, yeah, this will add to recruitment. Uh, so, yeah, there's so much to be excited about and getting as much out of the club as we possibly can. I, I'm thinking about <clears throat> when you speak about this, um, because Leicester is is uh, at the bottom of the WSL Um, map at the moment, uh, not not necessarily in the table when we when this season is being played, but it's been a lot of talk about English football lately. Obviously, um, for obvious reasons, but WSL teams still struggles a little bit to make European success. And I want to know what what is your opinion about that? What 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 is happening with English teams when they go out to play in Europe and and you talk about the Champions League um, that you would like to manage perhaps uh, a team in the Champions League but what does it take to to gain success in Europe? Yeah, it's an interesting one because I think the teams quality-wise the top three teams that will be competing in the Champions League without a doubt have got the quality And if they're failing, are they failing because tactically we're not as clever? Or are we failing because every single week in WSL is a real physical challenge? And when it comes to the European games, it's a step too far. And the teams that we're coming up against, and you probably need to look at historical matches either side of the Champions League games, but is the WSL almost too tough for these teams to then go Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday. I don't I don't know. I don't know if that's maybe just a poor excuse, if that's a get out. Uh, it could be from a tactical basis because quality wise, we cannot we cannot say that we fail in Europe anymore because of the lack of quality. Because we've got those three teams have got it. It I think it's interesting that you mentioned the uh the physicality and and uh, the schedule part because actually Maren Mielde when we had her on she she brought that aspect up as well um but she also mentioned that yeah we 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 have the quality to to go further but right now it's it's not happening for english football that way uh, and it's going to be interesting to see if the euros this summer will have an impact uh, on European success for English club football. So, Willie, to to wrap this up, we have about we have a dissert of rapid questions and then one more question that's maybe a little bit fun and it is uh where do you find inspiration? Where do I find inspiration? Uh there's probably a professional answer. Well, there's a professional answer and a personal answer. So the professional answer is I probably get inspiration from other coaches and from from as I get older, I think I'm reading more and I'm watching more. So if it's documentaries or if it's uh, so I've read I've read books about business and I've read books about other sports, which I probably never did in the past, and I'm getting inspiration from that. I'm watching, for example, all or nothing, the Arsenal one. It's just. I'm loving it because I, I I love Mikel Arteta and uh, what he's trying to build and the passion he shows and the decisions that he's making. Are, so I get inspiration from that sort of stuff. Uh, and then a personal inspiration, I get it from, I think being a dad changes so much and you want to make your son proud. And that's not necessarily by success, but it's just doing your job as well as you can and 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 being a good person, I think, and making good life decisions which has not always been the case, uh, but I'm, I'm trying to. Uh, so I get inspiration from being a father and I still get inspiration from my gran. So my grandmother was like, I was very close to her and she always said, if it makes you happy, do it. And I always remember that. And my only tattoo is rosary beads that I got from my gran. So 
like I think she's she's been a massive influence on my life and and I get inspirations probably still from that. Make sure that you're happy doing what, what you're doing. Also, this was gonna be the last question. But then I, I came up with one that I was supposed to ask you because you were talking about building the infrastructure and you guys have some some really good players, but trying to you know get one of those players that you know are going to, you know, take this club to to another level and help you guys in that way. Do you have a dream signing for Leicester? A dream signing for Leicester. Somebody that you would want to get in the club. Hannah Bennett. Player. <laughs> yeah? I take it anywhere. Uh, yeah. Is 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 that good answer? Good what, answer. What's uh, what's so special about her that you know that maybe the I just think she's got so much such so you know, there's it's hard to answer that question because there's so many players like you know, I, was, I could easily say on the other hand that the complete opposite end of the spectrum, somebody like Jill Scott, who I know would have a long-lasting impact on the club for completely different reasons. But in terms of talent-wise, you would sign Hannah Benson for any club in the world because she, her, her vision, her awareness, her attitude to work and her attitude to learn is just a 99 out of 100. Like all of those things... Like her awareness, her vision, yeah, her attitude to work and to learn, and her potential is just like absolute top. And it's just a player you'd love to work with, and is an inspiration to be on the training pitch for other players. I think I think other players must watch her and train beside her and go. She just she never stops. She never stops thinking or learning or working. Just think, somebody so young, she's very, she's, she's very influential and inspirational for someone so young. That being said, we're going to go into the this or that questions. So I'm going to give you one or two. I'm going to give you two options so you get to choose one. Uh, we're going to start with the real easy one. So we're going to go with Scotland or England. It's Scotland. Scotland. Uh, investing in young talent from the area and build on that or go with experienced players from abroad? Uh, young talent. Showing up at a football game for work wearing a club team training tracksuit or a proper suit? Proper suit. On a day off, watching football on TV or just Netflix and chill? Probably no Netflix. Would you rather be known as one who's a great recruiter or a great strategist? I think you have to be a great strategist before you can be a great recruiter. So, strategist. All right. And that wraps up the Willie Kirk episode. Willie, thank you so much for being on here and taking your time. Thank you. It's a privilege. Thank you. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 